Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. The Bible's teaching of providence, that God provides the things that we need, it's very likely the most taken-for-granted teaching of Scripture. And we confess it numerous times in the Catechism, the first article of the Creed confesses, or we confess that he richly and daily provides me with food and clothing, home and family property and goods and all that I need to sustain this body and life. We're reminded of it whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer in the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. And and the Catechism says daily bread includes everything needed for this life, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, fields, cattle, money, goods, God-fearing spouse and children, faithful servants and rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, order, honor, true friends, good neighbors, and the like. And even the Ninth and Tenth Commandments both deal with being content with what God has given us, our inheritance or home, our wife, our maidservant, manservant, our cattle, or anything that belongs to us. And why do I list all those? Why does our catechism list all of those? Um, every Lutheran confirmation student in about the past 500 years has had to memorize that list. And I would bet that almost every Lutheran confirmation student within the past 500 years complained about memorizing that list. Why do we have to know these lists? They're complicated. Isn't it enough to just know that God provides just everything? But we need the list. What God provides for us isn't simple. It is complicated. That's why we need the list. It is complicated, and we forget how smoothly God provides for our very complicated needs. We don't just need food to survive. We need families, we need companionship, we need the right amount of water, we need the right amount of oxygen, we need uh, everything right down to the specific microbes in our body. We're real people with real bodies and real souls, and each one of us are, are very different, each one of us with very different, very individualized, highly specific needs that we usually only become aware of when something is broken or wrong. Uh, two weeks ago, we heard what St. Paul wrote to the Philippians. He said uh, how, how he weeped over the enemies of Christ, saying their end is, their, is destruction. Their God is their, their stomach. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. They're thinking only about earthly things. You know, when your stomach is hungry, you know it. Something's wrong. Your body needs food. You may not have thought anything about food up until that very moment, uh, but suddenly, once your stomach starts rumbling, all you can think about is, is food. You want it now, uh, right now, right? Paul says that those who make their stomachs their gods, those who are driven by, by, by simply what their bodies think that they want, uh, could be sinful things like extramarital sex, uh, coveting what God has not given to us, or seeking earthly or physical things above the things of God. Paul says they are enemies of Christ. Enemies of Christ. Their God 
is their stomach. You know, we tend to think that if the Bible tells us to keep away from things, even especially things that, that we want uh, or things that we think we need, well, it's out of step, right? It's out of step with, with what, we, what we know we need. Uh, but in fact, to be driven by our stomach, by these wants, is, is to be no different than an animal. A dog will stop in the middle of a road when it smells something that it might like to eat, oblivious to the danger that it's now in. But its owner will yank it off the road, even, even violently, to get it out of the way of a car. Uh, to the dog, the owner is being mean. Uh, he's being kept from, from what it is that he wants. But the owner knows better. God knows even better than we do. And sometimes the things that we think we want or that we think are the most important can actually put us in great eternal danger. In our gospel lesson, over 4,000 men, not including women and children, have come a long way. Many of them have come from a long way into a desolate, deserted place. And they've been there for three days and they haven't had anything. They've got nothing to eat. They've been led out by the gospel. Uh, so enthusiastic about Jesus teaching the gospel of Jesus that they've forgotten even food or failed to get food. And in any case, all of a sudden, they are now driven down by the law. They are thrust into great danger and great fear. They know what they want, and they want it now. Their stomach is telling them what they need, what they want. And Jesus is not oblivious to this. Jesus says that if they don't get fed, some will faint on the way, maybe even die in that desolate place. Like the crowd, it often happens in the lives of believers that we experience a wonderful blessing, a moment of God's grace, and then immediately we're brought to our knees. But, and this is the heart of the lesson, when Jesus saw the desperation of those people, he said, I feel compassion for the crowd. Compassion. The Greek word there is splignitsomai. Splignitsomai. Splignitsomai literally means one's gut being moved, or even one's stomach or gut being sacrificed. The idea is, is a pain that you feel so immensely when someone else is hurting. Even though there's, there's no physical pain, no physical harm being done to you, and no real harm to you, it's the feeling of pain that you feel when someone you love is suffering. Normally, when we talk about the organ of compassion, we talk about our heart, right? My heart feels compassion. Your heart feels compassion. But to the writers of the New Testament, it was your gut. And by inspiration from God, they were onto something. Splignitsomai is the feeling that a mother has who is watching her children be beaten by bullies, and there's nothing she can do. She feels the blows in her own body. She feels sick, sick to her stomach, as if her gut's being ripped apart. She can't stand watching her children suffer like this. When Jesus has splignitsomai for the crowd, this is his amount of compassion. This isn't just some sentimental moment. He's actually, literally, physically suffering. 
But Jesus is able to do what, what mothers only wish they could do. Right? Mothers wish they could suffer for their children. I wish I could suffer instead of my son. I, I, I wish that had happened to me instead of my son. We wish, right? we wish we could die for those we love, but none of us can. But Jesus can and does. Thanks be to God. For all of us, including our children whom we can't die for, for all the people we love that we can't take the place for or bear their burdens, Jesus has taken their place and borne their burdens and continues to do so. In the Bible, the word splignitzomai for compassion is only ever used for Jesus and in parables about Jesus. Uh, in the prodigal son, the father, which is a pic- who is a picture of God, has splignitzomai for his son uh, who, who squandered and wasted everything. The good Samaritan has splignitzomai. And the master who forgave the debt of the foolish servant and wasteful servant has splignitzomai. Uh, in that parable, the servant is not innocent by any means. He was foolish, he was wasteful, he did it to himself. But it hurts the master to see his servant suffer so much so that he forgives the debt. He has splignitzomai. That's the picture of God. It's what he did for those 4,000 people. Even if they should have known better and brought food, Jesus has splignitzomai for them. Splignitzomai is what God has for us. We deserve nothing but God's wrath and punishment. But God does not ever, ever come down on us in pure wrath. That's what Jesus suffered on the cross. And because of that, because of Jesus suffering God's wrath on the cross, God now only ever looks to us, to you, on you, with compassion. Splignitzomai. In fact, this word splignitzomai is not even ever used in the Old Testament. Even though compassion uh, is uh, obviously a trait of God even in the Old Testament. But there's a shift in the New Testament because in the New Testament through today, God now actually has guts. God now has a stomach. He has intestines and a belly. His splignitzo can actually be ripped apart and in turmoil when we suffer. Jesus actually became incarnate. He became true man, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. God can actually splignitzomai, have compassion when we suffer, because he has a stomach. He knows what we feel because he feels it. And so what did Jesus do? For the 4,000, he has them sit down. You know, there's a common misapplication of this, of this, uh, of this story uh, where the point becomes about sharing. Uh, that all, if all we could learn, if we could all learn to share like Jesus is doing here and, and provide bread and, and, and fish and, and what people need when people need it, there would be no hunger, no suffering. And as if we have all the ability to do the right thing, we just need a little example. We need a little, a little nudge, a little push. You know, right? God, God helps those who help themselves. But that completely misses the point. God helps those who can't help themselves. He helps those who don't know what to do or lost. He has compassion on the lost, the poor, the hungry, the widows, the fatherless. 
So he has them all sit down. There's nothing they can do, but Jesus can. And then he prays. He reminds them that they are not animals. Animals don't wait before their, their, their food or for their food. They, they just eat. They don't pray. They don't sit and wait for, for it to eat because they're driven by their belly, their stomach. They think nothing of, of who their food came from or, or why it's there. But we, as children of God, we know that we have a heavenly Father who has compassion on us and who has provided for everything in our lives. After Jesus blesses the bread, breaks it, and gives his disciples, they disperse it among the crowd. And each person now, not just the crowd together, but each individual is given exactly what they need. Jesus gives exactly the right amount to every single one of those 4,000 plus people. The people ate and were satisfied. Now bread and fish might not have been a lot, but it was what was needed. They had enough significantly to go home. Our needs are complex. We are more than just stomachs or bellies. We have family needs. We have mental needs. Uh, we have needs not to be alone. We, we, have, we have all these sorts of needs. But we're more than just bodies. We are also souls. But God knows better than we do our needs. And he's promised to supply us always with what is needed. Maybe again, not, not a lot. Maybe not what we think is the most important or what we, what we think we, we need. But exactly what is needed to go home. The feeding of the 4,000 is one of three miraculous feedings in Scripture. Of course, you think of the feeding of the 5,000. What's the other one? You may have noticed that part of the feeding of the 4,000 here sounds familiar. Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to his disciples. Jesus feeds millions and millions of Christians, even today, with his true body and blood. Christ still has splignitzomai, today for you and still feeds you. Even if you have nothing else, even if you've lost everything in this world, you have all things in Christ and through Christ. Indeed, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things along with him? Jesus' incarnation is compassion incarnate. Compassion in the flesh. His whole life is filled with compassion and compassionate action for those in need. Christ's in, uh, incarnation is not simply our example, but it is the strongest and most powerful gift of gospel. Jesus was in need. Jesus suffered for us. And Jesus' death on the cross is the ultimate, his ultimate act of compassion for the world and for you. And now the incarnate Christ and the blessings of his death are really brought to you in his incarnate body and blood, which he gives you in his holy supper. 
in His Holy Supper, which is Christ uh, becoming food to, to fill your stomach, yes, but, but not to be physically fed, but something better to be spiritually and eternally fed. In this heavenly food that strengthens us, it strengthens us to bear whatever burdens we may have to bear. It increases our faith so that we can be content like a little dog eating the scraps that fall from the master's table. It preserves us in the one true faith so that we have enough to go home. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, and His compassion endures forever. In Jesus' name, Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.